The next scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1. If you'll stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is God's Word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathon, and Mathon the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, All the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So far, the reading of God's holy word, we give thanks for it. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider this portion of scripture, let us pray for God's help. O Lord, our God, we are eager to know more of how you are with us and how you are with us. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ and God is with us in Jesus Christ. And we are reconciled to you on account of Jesus Christ. We pray that as we reflect upon his arrival from this portion of your word. That our hearts might be enriched in in appreciating what it means That God stepped into history, came from heaven to earth, so that God might be with us. That he might save us from our sins. And we might be able to rejoice, not just in this season, but in every season. Because we belong to the Lord. Exile has ended. Restoration has come. And we have salvation in the Lord Jesus. Help us to treasure him up in our hearts this morning. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word. To bring forth fruit in our hearts. To love you more. To serve you better. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I'm guessing that many of you have been using some sort of advent calendar to, to count down uh, to today. And these calendars mean to help us build kind of an, an anticipation as we eagerly wait for the day of celebration itself. We, we make the most of excitement about Christ's birth because it gives us hope and it gives us joy. To know, as we open those little flaps or whatever, check off the boxes, whatever form you may use, it gives us hope and joy to know when the wait will end. Now, whether you use an advent calendar for that or or not, most still take part in the the building excitement of, of the December season, as Christians use it to mark our Savior's birth. His arrival on earth. But the the people of Israel 
God's people. At the opening chapter of Matthew's gospel, this starting narrative of the New Testament period, well, they had no such privilege to know when their wait to see their Messiah would end. The kingdom of Israel never really recovered from their fully from their deportation to, to Babylon, explaining why three times in this first chapter of his gospel, Matthew noted the deportation, the exile under the Babylonians. And there were no markers from the closing verses of Malachi's prophecies, the final book of the Old Testament, to until the angels addressed to Mary and Joseph to preserve the anticipation of God's deliverances for Israel. Even after Israel returned to the land, the, the Persians and then the Greek and Roman empires kept, kept the long lingering shadow, at least, of exile cast over the Jewish nation, nation God's own people. And the thing that I think we, we really have to, to reckon with there is that Israel had been used to hearing from the living God. God inspiring the prophets to speak and inspiring authors to write scripture was really regular news, in a sense, for God's people of old. From 1500, at least, right, from 1500 BC to 500 BC, there was a, a continually open line of communication between God and the prophets to the people. And yet with the close of the Old Testament, in a very real sense, God went silent. After a thousand years of God's voice, he quit speaking. And this surpassed the physical, national exile to Babylon in terms of distress. At least in exile, God still spoke to them, still delivered messages through the prophets. They had no advent calendar to tell them when things would change. They had no countdown to give them the anticipation that God's silence would cease. And that brings us to Christmas. Right? The end-breaking of God's own presence. His return to his people. And one of the things that I want us to see today is to the parallel between the distress that Israel felt as they waited for God to speak again and really those who do remain in exile under sin and unbelief. And then again as well as believers who might feel as though you have been or are in exile this year, as if it has been so long since you have known God to move in your heart. Our main point this morning is Christ's arrival marked freedom from exile in unexpected ways. Christ's arrival marked freedom from exile in unexpected ways. 
Our three points today are the situation for Israel, their similarity to us, and the salvation from exile. So let's begin outlining the situation for Israel. What was it like? What what was it like coming into the narrative before us about Christ's arrival? And this point really considers Israel's condition as we find them at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, accounting for the desperation of their situation in the days before leading up to the arrival of God's Son. Remember that it has been 400 years since they they had heard God speak. Amidst many reasons, really, for this long period, we're certainly tempted to think, aren't we, that, that God kept silent for that long because, well, it was at least enough time for them to think that he was done with them. Four centuries is undoubtedly long enough that it would sink in that God had not spoken to them, that God had quit addressing them as his people. They could, ha- they could not have missed the silence, and it would have been deafening. And still, they, they would not have forgotten that God had promised the Messiah their rescuer, that he would come. They would have known Old Testament passages like the one quoted there in Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23, Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God back with his people. And this... For them, for their, from their perspective, this obviously miraculous prediction had not yet come to pass. I mean, first off, it would have been newsworthy, at least to some capacity, if a virgin had a child. Now, I, I realize, just to um, throw in the apologetic point, that uh, some so-called Bible scholars, if you're watching the History Channel, you're undoubtedly going to hear this, that Some of them have argued that this word translated virgin simply meant maiden and didn't necessarily mean that she was a virgin. And of course they argue that because they deny Christ's virgin birth and the miraculous nature of his conception. I mean, that that sort of claim, though, presumes that miracles can't happen, which is really beyond the scope of scientific investigation to prove since miracles are supernatural And really is a a smoke and mirrors argument meant to impress through an appeal to a foreign language. Because in Isaiah's time, right, Israelites didn't make the the hard and fast distinction between a a young, marryable girl and and a virgin. Those are conceptually and ordinarily the same thing for them. Teenagers didn't go to the mall together. And they had a far stricter view on how people interacted before marriage. Jews throughout the centuries even interpreted this verse the same way that traditional Christians have. And we've no real reason to question 
that Isaiah pointed towards a virgin birth of the Messiah, and that Matthew's gospel records the real fulfillment of that prophecy. More crucially, in some ways, this this child who would be born from a virgin would be named Emmanuel, which literally translates God with us. The prediction of this child was an announcement that in, in this person, this Messiah, God's very presence would dwell in the midst of his people. And yet, Israel had not seen the presence of God, nor even heard from him for four centuries. We see, don't we now, why the genealogy is important. Even, even for our purposes today, the genealogy indicates the need for Christ was a long time coming. There's a build-up. It's necessary to, to feel the force of the ages ticking by as Christ had not yet arrived so that we can feel the full relief of when the announcement occurs that his birth is here. And so with the facts before us about the lead-up to Jesus' birth, we see how desperate the situation for Israel was at the Christmas event. And, and that Christmas, the fact that Christmas marks the coming of God's Son, I mean, I think for us, it can become old news. We get used to it. We think, well, yeah, everybody gets that. But helping us see the, the real, the, that this event for the realization of the hope that was needed is crucial to know that Israel wasn't in the same predicament as we are. It wasn't assumed that that year would be the year of freedom. So this is glorious news. The witnesses of the first Christmas, well, they likely had some mixed emotions. We can, I mean, we can have ups and downs from year to year, but we probably have the same disposition. But after all, for them, Mary gave birth to her son next to farm animals. And the so-called wise men traveled a long way by following a star with the real threat of a murderous ruler lingering over their heads. That's not the clear-cut sort of sense of Christmas that we get in our holiday movies, the Christmas Eve specials. Given these dire circumstances, there easily could have been a, a sense, a real sense of questioning whether or not this moment was really the one where God was fulfilling all of his promises that had been so long needed. And so the situation for Israel was God's long, unbroken silence and the lingering sense of exile under ungodly powers. And that brings us to our second point. Well, their similarity to us. Their similarity to us. That sense of Israel's desperation at the time of of Christ's birth, when it was announced, um, 
Well, with that in place, this point connects that first century sense of lingering exile to the kinds of spiritual exile that we experience today. Despite how Christmas is supposed to be uh, a joyful time and how, how positively advertising firms market it for us, uh, nonetheless, depression runs rampant this time of year. Maybe even some here feel more alone this Christmas period than you have in a long time. Perhaps the days of of celebration don't really feel celebratory to you, but remind you of some loss from this year. Perhaps you just don't have the peace that you're told you're supposed to have during this season of peace. It's not lost on me that likely many Christians feel like it has been forever since God has spoken to you. Maybe you are in a season of spiritual dryness that, such that it feels like God is no longer even with you. Perhaps you're starting to wonder if his promises to be the source of peace and joy will actually ever take root in your life. And the Christmas season gets especially hectic and tends to remind us of and intensify these difficulties. And yet we have to remember that these feelings of loneliness and spiritual dryness are ultimately effects of, well, sin. Now, it well may be that the sin causing it may not be yours. And I think that that's an important factor to consider. It could be that It is simply the ongoing effects of living under the curse. And there are hard bits of our life that fit into that category. Could be also that you've been deeply wronged this year. And your struggle going into this season, well, is heightened. When most spend extra time with their loved ones. Because all that reminds you of some betrayal or hurt. You've endured. But it could be, it could be, that the distance you feel from God is the result of your own sin. Maybe you've once professed the faith, but this year have walked away. Or are striding full force ahead in open sin. It could be that you have put up The walls against God that block your fellowship with him. Your struggle or spiritual dryness may be due to how you have neglected God. Avoided his word. Put aside meeting with the saints or have entrenched yourself in unrepentant sin and commitment to yourself instead of Christ. If you are angry with God about something in your life from this year, well, I guarantee you that... The problem is not with God. In these ways, as we think about our own situation here in these days, well, can we not identify with the Israelites and how they felt after 400 years of God's silence? 
Will God ever act? Will He ever show back up? Will He ever make good on His promises? Will He ever speak to us again? What am I supposed to do as I wait? And how can I have hope? What can we do to end this season of spiritual dryness and feelings of distance from the Lord? And this reminds us how in the nation of Israel, those who faithfully sought the Lord, well, they suffered in exile along those, alongside those whose sin brought about their troubles. Israel lost the land that God gave them because they, they broke their covenant with him. In the first century, the Roman Empire's remaining overrule was the lingering reminder of the nation's sin. And the same is true for us though, isn't it? Well, if you're a Christian, you endure through the hardship and, and trial in the world because the whole human race went into exile with the fall of Adam. Just as Israel broke the law and was cast out of the, the promised land into exile for their sin, Adam broke the covenant that God made with him and was sent out of paradise because of his transgression. And we have continued in their example, violating God's law that he wrote into our hearts as he made us in his own image. In regards to Israel's exile, well, their similarity to us is that sin always causes separation. From God. And that brings us to our final point salvation from exile. Salvation from exile. Our, the things we've thought about in, in the last two points um, about Israel's desperation and how we find ourselves in a, well, really in a similar condition, bring us to the significance of today, of Christmas. The Israelites wondered when God would speak again. And God did them one better than speak and came to earth in human nature. God granted not just his voice, but his very own presence in the person of the eternal son. He endured, he endured the oppression of the Roman Empire. Born in a cow stall. Because the Romans wanted to know how many citizens would be, be paying taxes that year. And although he suffered in these ways with Israel. His real purpose was bigger than dealing with a temporary government. He came to earth to deal with the penalty and power of sin itself, to wipe his people's transgressions away, to make us clean in the sight of God. The real issue is not that God the Son came under Roman political prowess, but that he suffered every infirmity caused by our sinfulness, was beaten and whipped by the Romans, whose power he would really end, and was killed on the cross. The the struggle of Israel's lingering experience of exile is but a a subplot 
a sideline, an illustration under the story of Jesus Christ breaking down the walls of alienation between sinful man and holy God so that we might know the Lord in grace. Unlike us, Christ suffered all these things as the one person who never contributed to the world's sinful causes of suffering. The reason that he endured all this suffering and humiliation and hardship was to make good on God's promises to be with his people. God the Son willingly shouldered the penalty of sin so that everyone who trusts in him would be reunited to God. The world's difficulties are so hard to handle because we know it ought to be different. But we forget sometimes that whomever we are, we are the problem. We are what's wrong with the world. The way that we rebel against God and treat our neighbors, well, has created the situation in which we live. We forget that it is because we have rebelled against the loving God who created us that we suffer the effects of the fall. I'd be remiss to let anyone leave here today thinking that Jesus Christ came to make this age a more peaceful time to live. The hope Christ offers is not that everyone in the universe can feel better At Christmas, as if he came to make us happy for a week or two out of the year, as we are here and now. And so, we have to think about how if if you're not a Christian, well, you don't share presently in the hope that Christ offers You may well know that the world is not as it should be, and you may well know that you need relief from that burden. And yet, the root of that burden is our sinfulness that sends us into spiritual exile away from the Lord. When we realize our need for God's presence, whether that be for people who have yet to trust in Christ... For Christians who are experiencing spiritual dryness, the solution is always that we look to Jesus Christ. Just as the answer to the silence of God in the life of Israel was the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the answer to being far from God right now here in this moment is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God the Son Becoming a man was a real historical event, making the most profound statement about God's commitment to you, believer. Whereas sinful people could not manage to climb our way into heaven, God came down to us. When God's people were not able to get our act together and serve him as we should, God came to perform the law perfectly on our behalf. When God's people 
felt or feel as if we have been forgotten and abandoned, God came to this world and lived among us. He spoke to them, as we've seen in Mark's gospel, touched them, served them, healed them, died for them, died for us, and rose from the grave for us to guarantee that all God's people will live always in his presence and never again feel the distance that we put between ourselves and him. Many things in life can weigh us down, especially the busyness of some holiday season. Possibly even some of you are here because going into this time of year, you feel even more the burden of the hurts and disappointments of the past months. And yet, Christians were able in God's goodness, to let all of this fade as if it were fleeting disappointment. Because God has come to be with you. No matter how dark the season of life, no matter how long it seems since God has spoken to you, God has come to be with his people. God has come to overcome every obstacle, to to rewrite your wrongs that you might know him in full closeness and have complete intimacy with him in everlasting life. God has come so that every ounce of loneliness would be milked away and set aside for eternity. Jesus Christ is God with us. And so we're glad to belong to him. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are thankful that here in these moments we are aware, really, of the changing of history. Moments that take time from the period when we did not know the name of our Savior to now when we call on him in full dependence and in clear knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he has already accomplished on our behalf. He came to free his people from the curse of what we did in breaking our covenant with you. And he has succeeded. He has won victory. He did not just come. He prospered. He he didn't just be born, he burst out of the grave, defeating death forever. He is the one life that guarantees life to all who belong to him. And so in these moments, we pray, O Lord, that wherever we are, whether we need to come to trust in Christ, whether we need to renew profession of faith, whether we need comfort from the fact that we walk in faith, cause every heart here, O Lord, to take hold of Jesus Christ who has come so that God would be with us. We pray that 
even in these moments, you put an end to any sense of exile that hang over the people here. That as people take hold of Jesus Christ, they would know freedom. And as we come to these moments when we are at your table, we're reminded how good it is to take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as bread and wine are put into our hands, Jesus Christ is put into our heart by faith. And here you remind us in a profound way that God came to be with us. In these moments we know that you've promised that this is participation in Christ's body, blood, and benefits and that the Lord himself joins us at your table so that God is with us in fellowship, in grace, and in peace. Bless these elements, this meal, to these effects, to these ends, that we know your work and presence in our midst. We ask it for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.